That's good that you managed to make it through this terrible storm that is brewing out there. It's good to have you guys all here, see that you got through the deep waters and all that kind of stuff. I actually felt two raindrops on my head before I ran inside, so I think uh, we all survived that somehow. Um, uh, when we think about that, for us here, this is like weather, right? So it's like, oh my gosh, we're enduring some weather. But maybe think about um, many years ago, I was the, the speaker at uh, a, a ski retreat up in Montana. So they flew me up, and then and then you fly into like Spokane, and then you get on a little puddle jumper, and they take you over to some little airport in Montana that nobody's ever heard of, and you get off the plane, and and uh, and I I spent the week there at this retreat, and then as I was coming home, I get back in this little puddle jumper, and it is uh, really stormy. And there's a lot of snow, there's a lot of ice and sleet and all this stuff. I don't know what all that is, but it was there. And, and I remember that at this plane maybe seated uh, 10 people. And so as, as, as we're going up through the storm, I remember this terror because literally the plane is jumping as it goes through these things and there is lightning flashing all around this little plane, and I'm like, you know, this would be a good time to pray. <laughs> so my, my spiritual life grew in that moment, and, and I just remember the terror. Literally, people were screaming on the plane and wondering if we were going to make it and survive as we got up through the clouds. But then there came a point where we actually got up above the storm. It was the coolest thing ever, because not only did it... Did it uh, you know, straighten out and the bumping stopped, but you could look out your window and you could see the clouds below and you could see the lightning spreading throughout the clouds below. It was like God was putting on this amazing show for us. And it was incredible to see the difference between what it felt like when we're in the middle of the storm compared to what it felt like when we got above the storm and we could look down and see it from an entirely different perspective. As we get into 1 Peter, we're going to be looking at a letter that is originally written to the church in the second half of the first century. So already by the time Peter is writing, severe, severe persecution has begun for the church. Um, the Roman Empire began to really persecute the Jews in a fresh way around AD uh, 65, to the point where the temple is completely destroyed and there's a massacre and thousands and thousands of Jews are wiped out in AD 70. And that, um, that, the Romans saw the Christian church just as a sect of Judaism. And so they saw it as a threat, especially because they had a king that they said they worshiped named Jesus. And Caesar wasn't about to allow himself to have to compete with any other king. And so the persecution became really serious to the point where the people were having to run to other cities, other countries, get away as far as they could just to survive, just to save their lives. It was not unlike some of what, we, what we're seeing now with the refugee camps over in Jordan and the, the people that have fled from Syria and 
all of that kind of stuff where it's like, listen, just take whatever you can carry and get out right now. And you have to understand, in these days, there's no United Nations peacekeeping forces. There, there's not even hotels that you can stay in. There's, there's no way that you can book flights. There's, there's nobody you can call. There's no way to get in touch with anybody. We take all of that stuff for granted and we think if there was a, a situation like that in our lives, we would get on our phones and figure out where is it safe and we would go there. We would call some relatives and ask for help. Somebody could wire you some money. None of that was possible for them. And so they would just take off with whatever they could carry and get to another land and then try to start over. They left homes behind. They left businesses behind. They left their, their social networks behind. They left their families behind. They left everything behind and they spread out to these different areas where the persecution was lesser. And so when things like that happen, when things get seriously hard, when you go through storms like that in life, it is really easy to lose perspective because what's happening is your plane is bouncing and people are screaming and there is lightning flashing all around you. And when that's what's happening, that is all you can see. And it's hard to even imagine that there's anything else in that moment. And you lose perspective. And you begin to question God. You begin to wonder about God's faithfulness. You begin to wonder if he's really so good. You begin to wonder if he's loving. You, you're not so sure that he's all powerful because if he was, why isn't he doing something about this? Why would he let stuff like this happen? And you begin to question that because it's reasonable to think if God is so faithful, if God is so uh, good and so loving and so powerful, why am I suffering like this? If God is so great, why are the hospitals filled with children? If God is so powerful, how come evil men are able to just control and invade other lands and, and uh, abuse people? If God is so good, where is this good God? And you begin to ask questions like that and it's reasonable to do so because you are in the middle of the storm and your plane is bouncing and all you can see is the lightning all around you and it gets really tough to see or even imagine what's beyond that storm and you lose perspective. A number of years ago, um, the doctors discovered in me uh, a, a birth defect and, and it turned out I was born with a faulty heart valve and I had been uh, living all this time with a heart that didn't work right. And it just finally got to the place where it wore out and I wasn't going to live if they didn't go in and do surgery to replace it. Well, at this time, it's only five years later now, but now they, they, it's a very simple surgery. It's an outpatient thing. They can replace your heart valve just by going up through the vein like they do with an angiogram and it's no big deal. But even five years ago, that wasn't the case. For me, it was open heart surgery. And so what that meant was if you haven't had the pleasure of open heart surgery, let me tell you a little bit about it. Um, uh, they, they basically, you know, they take a scalpel and cut through the middle of your chest. And then, at least that's what they tell me. I was asleep through most of this. But, but, but then, then they take a skill saw out of the back of some contractor's truck. And they take this thing and they plug it in and they go, and they cut your sternum completely open. And then they pull your ribs apart like this so they could take out your heart and toss it around. And that's the kind of stuff they do right? So, so the surgery wasn't bad because I was asleep, 
But when I woke up, it was not good. And, and so as much as if you ever have to have this surgery, I'm going to come to the hospital and I'm going to pray with you and I'm going to tell you it's going to be okay. But that will be a lie. Because <laughs> it hurts. <laughs> it hurts a lot. But, it, but the recovery is one thing. You get through the few days you're in the hospital and all that kind of stuff and then they send you home because God forbid you would spend 10 more minutes getting the care that you need when the insurance company is paying for it. So they send you home and then you're, you're supposed to, uh, they give you this pillow, right? If you ever had heart surgery, it's a little heart-shaped pillow. It's so cute. <laughs> they give you this pillow and they tell you, hold it to your heart if you have to cough, which you do a lot because your chest is recovering. You have to hold it to your uh, chest real tight so that the sternum doesn't do this because it's just wrapped in wire. It hasn't, it hasn't, everybody having a good time? Is this good for you? Yeah. <laughs> Anybody want some breakfast? No? Okay. So they, they wrap wire around your sternum to tie it together so that eventually it will grow back together. But for a while, it's like this. And, and I did good with the pillow. When I had to cough, I grabbed that pillow and I would hold it and it really, really helped. The moment of truth was when unexpectedly I sneezed. Yeah. It was like that. And I was telling somebody about that this, this week, actually, and that's what brought it to my mind, that, that at that moment when I sneezed, that was the worst pain I've ever felt. I've had a bunch of surgeries, a bunch of broken bones, been in car accidents and athletic things and all that kind of stuff. There was nothing, nothing close. And if at that moment, right after I sneezed, um, all I want to do is scream, but it hurt to scream. And if you had handed me a gun and said, would you like to end it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. In that moment, I would have gladly ended it all because the pain was so extreme that, that in that moment, I thought, how am I ever going to survive this? And now I look back and I'm like, well, thank God nobody handed me a gun because I'm doing great now. I'm completely healthy now. I'm all the way healed now. And... and I now have the perspective to realize that that moment, which seems so overwhelming to me, was just a moment. And that God was still God. He was still on the throne. Life still had meaning. It still had purpose. But in the moment, I questioned all of that. That's why, when, at least for me, when I had open heart surgery, they actually have volunteers that come to your room while you're recovering who have already had open heart surgery and recovered. There's like a support group. And they come and they talk to you about what to expect and they, they give you some hope because you can see that they're feeling a lot better than you're feeling right then. And, and it's that reason that we have, you know, suicide hotlines. It's that reason that we have crisis pregnancy centers, that, that we have uh, divorce recovery groups, that we have counselors for people with PTSD and all of the various things because in the moment when it's dark, it can be so overwhelming that you lose sight of everything else and you can actually lose hope when you're going through a storm. But it's not just hope that we need. If we put our hope in the wrong thing, it only makes things worse, amen? 
Have you noticed that? If we put our hope in something that is not worthy of our trust, then it's going to make things worse. It's going to lead to despair and destruction and brokenness. The object of our hope has to be worthy of that hope. When I was a youth pastor, um, one of the things I, I used to do was visit high school campuses as a, as a guest speaker. And uh, it was always a bit of a pain because most of the time the kids didn't want to hear what I had to say and they were just talking amongst themselves and glad to be out of class and not pay any attention. But the time when it always, when I always had their attention was when I would go to the continuation high schools. Because at the continuation high schools, half of the audience is made up of 14, 15, 16, 17 year old girls who are moms. And you begin talking to them about the choices that they make in life. And they're not ignoring you. They're nodding. They're agreeing. They're elbowing their friends and saying, listen to this. Because, because in, in many of their cases, as I would talk to them afterwards, they would tell me that many of these girls, shocking number of these girls would tell me that they got pregnant on purpose. Because they wanted a baby to love them. And somehow no one explained to them that it's a one-way street until they're, I don't know, 40 or something. It's just a one-way street, right? I, I might, my kids are in their 30s. I'm waiting to find out. I don't know. But, and and, and they, they, these, these young ladies... They had put their hope that this child was going to give their life some significance, some meaning. And in fact, it just made things so much more difficult in so many ways, despite how precious that life is. And they would tell me about how, how they were confident at one point that their boyfriend was going to be there for them, that their boyfriend was going to take total responsibility and was going to help. And in nine times out of 10, those boys were long gone. And, and so it was easy for them to listen and understand that when you put your hope in the wrong person, when you put your hope in the wrong thing, you're just going to become more desperate. And so it matters where we put our hope. Some of us have put our hope in a politician. Some of us have put our hope in the government in general. Some of us have, have maybe put our hope in a relationship that this is going to be the thing that fulfills me and gives my life purpose and makes everything matter to me. We put our hope in a new job, a career, something like that. Some of us watch closely for when the Powerball gets over a billion and we put our hope there. And we also put a few bucks there. And all those things disappoint. Well, the book of 1 Peter, the apostle, is writing to a church that is right in the middle of not a storm, a series of storms. Because of the persecution that arose, they had all scattered and they had become refugees. They were dealing with poverty. Some of these people had been business owners. Some of these people had been very well-to-do. Some of these people were influential in their communities and now they're homeless. They're, they were dealing with um, loneliness and, and fear and confusion, especially since they realized that all of this started because they became followers of Christ. 
And there's so many preachers out there that are waving this banner saying, hey, just raise your hand, pray this prayer and accept Jesus and all the bad stuff goes away and life's gonna be great and you're never gonna cough again. And it's a lie. Jesus said, if you're gonna follow me, you're gonna have to take up your cross daily and follow me. He talked about how he didn't even have a place to lay his head. Why would we expect anything to be different for us? He said it was going to be a struggle. He literally said these words, in this life, you will have trouble. But then he reminded us not to lose heart in the midst of that trouble because he has overcome this world. So it matters where you put your hope. So Peter opens his letter by reminding us, reminding them of what's true, even though they can't see it in the midst of the storm. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Hopefully uh, you've had enough time to figure out where that is. It's in the back of your Bible. Um, And uh, there's a couple of letters from Peter and then some letters from John. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. And I'm just going to read you maybe nine or ten verses here, so follow along with me beginning in verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him. You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things, which now have been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look." My, uh, my eldest daughter, Lisa, when she was a baby, she, uh, she was born with uh, lung issues, right? As a lot of little ones are. Very, very severe asthma. Really, and we're first-time parents, right? So already we're freaking out. Oh my God, she dropped her pacifier. What are, let's rush her to the hospital, right? That's, that was the way we were. And so um, she starts having these rather severe asthma attacks and and the doctor gives us some, some clues to look for and says, when it, when it reaches this point, you need to get her to the emergency room. 
And so she's a, she's a little one, um, and she's, she's not breathing right, and it's getting worse, and it's getting worse, and it's finally like, okay, I'm taking her. Load her in the car, and off I go to the hospital, take her into the emergency room, and they see her, and you know how it is in hospital emergency rooms, right? They, they say, what are you here for? And you go, well, I stubbed my toe, and they're like, have a seat, we'll see you on Wednesday, right? <laughs> but, but when they saw her, they said, bring her right in. So we brought her right in, and, and they said, she's going to need a breathing treatment, right? And a lot of you as parents know what this whole story is. So she's going to need a breathing treatment, and she's little. So um, what we're going to do is we're going to take this mask and put it on her face, and she's probably not going to like that. So what we need you to do, Dad, is put her on your lap, and I want you to take your leg and put it over her leg so she can't kick, and then take this hand and hold both of her hands together so she can't squirm and get away. And then we're going to take, have you take this hand and hold this mask on her face. Well, this kid is freaking out. She is crying and screaming, and the more she screams, the harder it is to breathe, and the harder it is to breathe, the more she screams, and this is just escalating and getting bad. And I remember sitting there holding her legs and holding her arms and holding this mask on her face and, and tears rolling down my face because I'm freaking out because my daughter's in this situation, and I'm having to restrain her and hold her down. And this is, I learned an amazing lesson on this day. This was amazing. I had always thought that that look that women have comes on their wedding day, that God just gives them to, because I'd never seen a woman look like that except at her husband with that look. My one-year-old daughter gave me that look. (laughs) I'm like, I've seen that look. I should have warned her husband it was coming. I've seen that look. And, And she looked at me as if to say, I thought at least you I could trust. How can you do this to me? She couldn't understand. She was suffering. And it made no sense to her why I was making it worse and not better. She had no idea that it was that medicine that was going to heal her. No idea that it was that that was going to save her life. No idea that what I was doing was actually in the larger picture for her good. And because of that, because she lacked perspective, she freaked out. And today, she and I can talk. She, of course, doesn't remember that. We can laugh about it. It's funny now because we have perspective. So these verses that we just read, they're given as a source of perspective. If you don't get anything else today, I want you to understand that God is trying to give you a perspective above the storm. So that while your plane is bouncing and while your life is going through it and while the waves are breaking, I got enough metaphors mixed here for you. While you're going through all these storms, there is a picture from above the storm where it all actually looks kind of beautiful. And it's not scary at all. And God's trying to give us that perspective. Go back, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. Uh, verse 3, I'm sorry. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to get the right perspective, you have to start with Him. He's the one. He's the reason that we don't have to freak out when things are going badly. And he tells us more about that. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice even though now for a little while if necessary you've been distressed by various trials. I appreciate the fact that Peter is not pretending here that there's no suffering going on. And he's not minimizing the suffering these people are going through. He's not saying, oh, come on, just have a stiff upper lip, you'll be fine. He's actually giving them a reason to see it differently than they've been seeing it. He's not minimizing it at all. He is glorifying God because by God's grace and mercy, this suffering will not be forever. And he wants them to get that understanding. He's glorifying God that although we may have some foes in this life, our two greatest foes are sin and death, and by his death on the cross and his resurrection on the third day, he has defeated sin for you and he has defeated death for you, and once he's defeated our two greatest foes, what else is there to worry about? That's our God. He has caused us, it says. I love that it says he caused us just in case we think, oh, you know, I impressed him enough that he finally let me in. No, no, no. He caused us to be born again. It was because of him that we're born again. And what are we born to? A living hope. We're born to this living hope and he secured our inheritance in heaven and, and he's provided this inheritance for us in heaven. He's guaranteed this inheritance for us in heaven. It's God's power that protects us from the attacks of the enemy and it's his power that has secured our salvation. He never said you would not have trouble in this life. He said the opposite. But he said, don't worry, don't fear, don't have anxiety, because though you will struggle in this life, I have taken care of your greatest need. So that even though today the struggle is real, there is a day coming where there will be no more sorrow. There is a day coming when there will be no more pain, when there will be no more tears, when there will be no more confusion, when there will be no more death. There is a day coming, and that is not just wishful thinking. That is the finished work of the God of the universe. Look again, verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our trials are like that breathing treatment for my daughter. In the moment, they seem terrible. In the moment, it leaves us with all kinds of questions and fears and anxieties. And if we remember that they're just temporary. And if we put our hope in the living hope, we can endure them. And as we endure them, God promises that I will cause all things to work together for good and something wonderful will come of this. And he says, you have to believe even though you can't see. You have to trust even though you're not sure. 
Even though from everything you could see right now, you just go, wow, I'm not even sure God knows my name. I'm not sure he sees what I'm going through. If he sees, I'm not sure he cares. And the word of God says, not only does he know, not only does he see, but he cares more than you could ever imagine. And praise God, he has the power to do something about it. But he's interested in the long-term victory, not just the short-term relief. So in the same way that God uses our sufferings and trials um, as a gateway to the glory that is yet to be revealed, he says. Look at verse 8. It says, and though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him. You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Most of these people didn't have the benefit of watching Jesus when he walked the earth. Most of these people had come to know the Lord after the ascension. And so they were simply going, as you and I are going, on the witness of others, on the, on the revelation of the word of God, and on the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, that's how they knew Jesus. And he's commending them, because even though you haven't seen with your eyes, you still believe and, and he says, listen, I want you to just keep trusting him. I want you to just hold on to the truth that he is not finished with you yet. I love the way James begins his letter, the book of James. He begins his letter with these words. He says, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith will produce endurance and let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And every time I read those verses, I, I think, man, everyone I know, if we did a straw poll right now and said, hey, raise your hand if you'd like to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, every hand goes up. But if I say, what, raise your hand if you'd like to endure various trials, Crickets. God says, this is how I make you mature. This is how I sand off the rough edges of your life. This is how I conform you to the image of Christ. And he says, let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This too, he says, shall pass. And God's not wasting this pain, my friends. He's bringing about the fullness of your salvation. He's molding you and shaping you into the image of Christ. He's, he's refining you in the fires, as he speaks of, with the gold in order to purify you so you can experience life abundantly. And, and, and I want you to look at verses 10 through 12 because there's a nugget in there that I don't want us to miss. Verses 10 through 12, as to this salvation... The prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. In other words, the prophets of old were prophesying about this coming Messiah and they didn't know who he was. And they didn't know when he was coming. And they didn't know why any of this made sense. So it was by faith that they're even speaking this truth. And then he says in verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things, which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. There's this, this gold nugget in verse 11, and, and 
I want to dig it out a little bit. See, he's telling us that Jesus, even Jesus, was not kept from suffering. And you go, yeah, that, I, I mean, the cross, cross had to be hard. Yeah, that's true. But how about the fact that Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus, his friend, even though he knew he was going to raise him again? He, he, he felt the sting of the betrayal of Judas, who was like a brother to him. He, he suffered hunger and loneliness in the wilderness as he fasted for 40 days and nights just preparing for the ministry that he was about to launch. He endured unjust treatment from humans all over the place, from city to city to city, and at the hands of those in authority, he suffered. He sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane because the stress of what he was dealing with was so great that his humanity was breaking apart. He heard Peter denying him after swearing he would never deny him. He endured unjust trials. He endured mockery. He endured beatings. And he hung naked on a cross while the wrath of God for your sins and mine was poured out upon him. He's acquainted with our grief, he knows suffering. But he also experienced the power of the resurrection. He also was there when the stone rolled away and his heart began to beat again. He also experienced the glory of the ascension as he was welcomed back into heaven by the host of heavenly angels. He also was seated at the right hand of the Father where he sits even now today in the throne of God interceding for us. He's been given the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the elders in heaven throw their crowns on the ground before him. And the angels hide their eyes because they cannot bear to look at one so holy. And forever and ever and ever and ever they sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty in his presence. I think... That's what Peter's trying to give us a glimpse of. That this too shall pass and our God can be trusted to make beauty from ashes. It's what he does. And I think that's what Peter means when he talks about the sufferings of Christ and the glories that follow. It's a matter of perspective, isn't it? And he's trying to say, don't worry guys, I, I know you're feeling the bumps, but we're about to get above the storm. The day's coming when from above the storm, you're gonna be able to see the beauty of what God has been doing all along and all you need is perspective and he commends them that because now they're lacking that perspective with their eyes, they have to have that perspective with their hearts and we're in the same boat 
In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about his whole list about all the times he was beaten and imprisoned and he was stoned and left for dead and he is in three shipwrecks and he spent nights in the ocean and wherever he went, he was chased out of town. He's been arrested countless times and falsely accused and prosecuted against the law and he gives us this whole list of things that he's gone through in 2 Corinthians. But I love how he sums it up in 2 Corinthians 4. He talks about his hope. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians 4 and see this. So just a few books back to your left in your New Testament. Go to the book of 2 Corinthians and turn to chapter 4. And I want you to see this in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 through 18. He tells us all throughout the book of 2 Corinthians how much he suffered because of his relationship with Christ. And here's what he says, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. He calls those sufferings momentary light afflictions. Does that mean those were easy to go through? Do you think it felt great to be whipped 39 times, beaten with rods, put in stocks and thrown in a dungeon, to be shipwrecked and left in the sea? Do you think that being stoned to death and laying under a pile of rocks and people finally stopping because they think he's dead, Do you think any of that was easier that he's trying to make us think it's easy? He's not. But he calls them momentary light afflictions. How can he do that? Is he just just foolish? How can he do that? Because of his perspective. Goes on for verse 17. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. It really is a matter of perspective. It's not a mind game. I'm not suggesting that you lie to yourself and say this doesn't hurt. I'm not suggesting that you pretend that you're not going through what you're going through. I'm not suggesting that you look at a broken marriage and go, oh, it's fine, it's acceptable. I'm not suggesting that when you have wayward children, you just go, oh, well, kids will be kids. I'm not suggesting any of that. I'm suggesting you go ahead and cry yourself to sleep. I'm suggesting you go ahead and scream out to God in your pain. I'm suggesting that you do anything except turn away from God. If you turn to God in your grief, the scripture says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. I'm saying that despite all the trouble, despite all the struggles, despite the weight of what you're going through, in comparison to what awaits you because of what Christ has done, if you're a follower of Jesus, it is momentary light affliction. And one day, my friends, you'll be above the storm. And one day, in the presence of Jesus, it will all look different. And so he says, hold on. It's a matter of perspective. Of course, I would rather suffer less Of course, I would love to see each of you delivered from the trials you're in. But even more than that, 
I long for God to give us the perspective to focus on the things that are eternal, to truly trust that he is God and he hasn't changed just because our circumstances have. May we never forget that although we must endure for a time these momentary light afflictions, Jesus has secured our eternity and he has guaranteed our inheritance. And when we're above the storm, it will all be perfectly clear. And with that in mind, may he strengthen us to walk forward in this life, not, not encumbered by the roadblocks that are placed in our way. And may we walk forward by faith in the one who died and rose again to set us free. And may we experience the joy of that salvation, whatever else the world may throw at us. He is God and he loves you. Let's stand and pray together. Our Lord, it's, it's by faith that we can come before you today carrying some heavy weight. Some of us uh, struggling with things we, we don't even know how to put into words. Others of us know exactly what the trial is and we just want away from it. But every one of us from time to time goes through some storms and, and, and we confess, Lord, that while we're in these storms, um, it, it's hard. It's hard to, to live for eternity. It's hard to focus on that which is eternal when that which is temporal is so painful. And so, God, I'm just asking for your comfort and your courage that we might, because we are holding your hand as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that we might fear no evil. Help us, God, to walk by faith, that though we do not see you now, we know that you have guaranteed the outcome. And may we live according to Jesus Christ, our living hope. We ask it in his name. Amen.